You're dialed in to the Turn In 2 podcast with your hosts, Matt Mills and Tito. Welcome back, Cardinal fans, to another edition of the Turning 2 podcast. Woo! We are rolling right now, boys. I've got Carter, who also known as Cardinal Chat 18 on Twitter, and Fish. That is Mr. Ryan Fisher, our Fish 36. Boys, 12 games in a row. Mets are done. The Padres are done. And now we've just taken down the Brewers. Carter, I'm going to start with you. How are you feeling right now? Uh, I'm feeling pretty great, to be honest. I mean, uh, the fact that we're here and it's 12 games in a row that we've won is just insane to even think that that this team, especially how we were playing, you know, middle of the season, beginning of the season, it w- is even capable of winning six games in a row, let alone 12. It's just insane. So just enjoying the ride and having a lot of fun along the way, that's for sure. Fish, I, I've got to say, when I saw you last time in St. Louis, uh, little did we know that was going to be the start of quite possibly uh, the longest win streak you and I will probably ever see in our lifetime. Uh, how are you feeling, man? Uh, yeah, you know, um, last uh, two Fridays ago, yeah. uh, was in St. Louis, met you, stayed for the Saturday game, and uh, the rest is history. Since since then, the Cardinals have not lost a game. Um it's it's kind of surreal and uh i'm starting to just run out so run out of superlatives at this point it's i mean it's incredible to watch uh yeah. something something crazy happens every game yeah i mean and no and no stranger to the uh to the to the uh, september stage are the cardinals because it feels like every time we get to the month of september uh they take it up an extra gear or they find some way uh to do the unthinkable. Um, I'm going to update everybody as of right now, right? The nationals are just one out away of beating the reds. They're up three to two bottom nine, two outs. Um, so if the reds end up losing, um, they drop back another game on the Cardinals, which means that the Phillies would be, uh, the one team right behind us. And they are winning eight to six in the bottom of the seventh in Philadelphia. So that being said, Let's talk about this last series because uh, I think going into it, I think a realistic expectation was that the team was going to go probably two and two over the four games. But Carter, in your wildest dreams, did you think that a four game sweep was possible? Not at all. Uh, I definitely would have been happy with this split, especially with, you know, first place Brewers in Milwaukee, Um, tough place to play. I mean, it's a hitters park and, a lot of our players do hit really well there. Uh, but with the pitching that we were seeing, you know, seeing Woodruff, seeing Hauser, uh, seeing Peralta, uh, you would have thought that the Cardinals would have dropped one, maybe two. So split I would have been genuinely happy with. So the fact that we had a four-game split in Milwaukee is just insane. Fish, would you, would you have taken a two-game uh, two split? Uh, yeah, and and I think that's be, was being optimistic. Um you know, they have the three-headed monster. Uh, we got lucky um, not having to face uh, Burns this time around. But, um, you know, uh, Woodruff and Peralta have been lights out all year. And jumping on them like we did is, uh, you know, that, that was huge. And then uh, they just took that momentum and finished the sweep. Yeah, and that they did in, and in some style for sure on this last game. But we'll, we'll get to game four here in a second. 
Uh, I want to start with game one because we saw um, the Cardinals obviously continue their resurgency in September, but we saw uh, some a, a pretty big milestone for one John Lester. Um, he gets his 200th win, um, but there was something about there has been something about John Lester throughout this you know this run, or at least in the month of September, um, that I, I, you know it just feels as if he is a big game pitcher, and this is exactly why the Cardinals went and got him fish. What was your takeaway from John Lester's performance in, in game one? Yeah. So, I mean, Cardinals kind of have a, a track record of this, right. Where, you know, they, they pick up a, a, a pitcher that's, that's not, you know, it's not an eye popping move. You're like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, we'll see how this pans out. Uh, John Lester, like you said, as the Cardinals are uh, uh, no stranger to September, no stranger to big games. Um, coming into Milwaukee and, and being able to do what he did and pick up, like you said, a big milestone, 200 wins. Um, that, that's huge. And I, I do think that uh, uh, Lester, in addition to some, some other guys on the team uh, that have been performing as a late, have kind of been of a, a bit of a spark plug to the team. And, and I think that's a big reason why uh, they're surging in September right now. Yeah. And one thing that I noticed in the game, right, he gives up, you know, the Cardinals go out to that 2-0 lead, right? Arnado uh, hits that two-run home run. And shout out to uh, Christian for calling it on bombs away. That was pretty money. Um, but he gets up to that, two, you know, they get out to the 2-0 lead. And then Lester gives up two solo shots in the second inning. And from that moment on, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, man, I really hope this doesn't go south quickly. Uh, Carter, what were you thinking whenever he gave up those two home runs? It was kind of a, a here we go again type thing. I know we hadn't, you know, winning a bunch in a row coming into the series, but just kind of felt like, you know, middle of the season Cardinals where, you know, you jump out to the lead and then inning after it's there it goes right away. And I mean, if you look at the body of work, especially with Lester that inning, I mean, the two pitches that were hit out were good pitches. Mm -hmm. They were just better swings. And so that, you know, kind of made me feel a little better that, you know, okay, they hit, they hit out some good pitches in the zone and, uh, there's nothing much that you can do about that. And the fact that there were solo shots and no one was getting on in front of them definitely helped. And it, it felt in that moment right away early in the game that it was kind of like that, oh, no, here we go. Like we have a little momentum and then it's gone right away and let's hope that we can get it back. And luckily, you know, Lester bared down and offense picked him up and, you know, the rest is history. Win number 200, definitely. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, he, Lester bears down and he gets he only gives up three hits. He walks none, strikes out two. Um, yeah, you might want to see a little bit more striking out. But if you got a defense behind you, let him play. And we've seen throughout this win streak, uh, all 12 games, I should say, not just this particular series, but the defensive play carried over from the last series into this series. And it felt as if, you know, even with, you know, game two uh, with Miles My Michaelis pitching, the defense was just gobbling up everything. There's nothing that could have got by him. So for John Lester to go out, give up two runs, and then nothing, zeros, donuts the rest of the way, I thought that was huge. Uh, when you got a guy that it has is John Lester's uh, caliber in terms of veteran pitching, it's all about locating your pitches. And I thought he did a really, really good job of that. And then, of course, you know, it, leave it up to, uh, you know, uh, Yadier Molina to be Captain Clutch. Um, and, and time and time again, he's just shown us that 
uh, whenever the moment uh, meet, uh, meets the opportunity, um, he just cashes in. Uh, Fish, what else can you say about Molina and, and why the Brewers continued to pitch to him at that point? Yeah, I mean, I obviously we've seen Molina for years now, uh, and you know he he always has has been the type of hitter that he gets a pitch to hit on the first, you know, first pitch that a pitcher throws, regardless of, uh, you know, starter reliever, how like whatever inning he, he jumps on it, he's able to take it the other way. We, we, you know, we, we've seen that for years. And I just think that, you know, the Brewers pitching had a game plan, but Yachty had a better one. And it, I mean, it credit to him. That's like you said, there, there, you, you can't, come up with a number of how many times he's come up clutch in, in situations like that. And it's just, it's, it's like one of those assets uh, of the game and, and, and a thing that's not a stat, but right. the clutch factor for Yachty is, is off the charts. Yeah. Death taxes and Molina going to right field is how I, as how I penned it today. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Carter. So at the end of the game, we had uh, Luis Garcia come in and, I, I want to jump on this topic with you guys because I'm having this revelation of how good Luis Garcia has been for the Cardinals. And I don't have the specifics behind it or the numbers to, to back this up, but he's been really fucking good. And I, I don't know, Carter, when you look at a guy like that who throws 99 and hundred, could you ever justify letting him go in the middle of the season? No, not at all. I mean, unless he just not at all can't find the strike zone or he's out of options, I don't see a way that you could let a guy like this go. I mean, if all else fails and he, you know, can't find the strike zone, stick him down in AAA for a while, help him find his command a little bit and then bring him back up or put him in low leverage situations. But I feel like we just got a diamond off of the trash heap in Luis Garcia. And I mean, he is on the older side and, uh, but it was just good to see him in that safe situation for the first time and to see him just uh, mow him down in order is just kind of an important thing, uh, especially down the stretch. If uh, Gio's going to be in many, many games as he has been all season, it's going to be nice to know that we have somebody else besides Alex Reyes and besides uh, Henesis who can get the job done in the ninth inning and now has that experience, get that first one out of the way. And we can rely on him more heavily if Gio does get in trouble or, anything like that happens or GOC is multiple days in a row to need that closer in a close game. Yeah. And, and I found it interesting. And I find this interesting, right? Because last episode that we talked, or the guys and I talked on, uh, on the podcast, we talked about who would be the closer for the Cardinals um, when you get into the postseason, if you get into the postseason. And my answer was very simple. It's ride the hot hand. Gio Gallegos has done everything he needs to do as the closer up to this point. But I've got to say, Fish, if Garcia, if they turn to Garcia at any point, I'm about as I'm about as comfortable I am, as I am with Gar- uh, with Gallegos. What about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. His his repertoire pitch uh, speaks for itself. I mean, I, if you would have asked me this question pre All Star break and even the first month or so after the all-star break it's it's gonna it's gonna it was Reyes right but Reyes obviously uh ran into his own problems and and Luis Garcia's that opened up an opportunity for him and he has take that taken that opportunity and ran with it and 
Yeah, I mean, he's his stuff is nasty. He his, I mean, like you said, it, it's hard to justify why uh, you let someone like, like that go. Um, but I mean, obviously, there was a reason, and Cardinals are they have a, hist- a history of doing this as well. They they find diamonds in the rough a lot, and uh, it, it, it's it's kind of crazy to me. But I mean, he's he's a stud. Yeah, I mean, I think the the saying is what one's one one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And and it, it might have been. I mean, I think way the last in twenty twenty years with Texas, um, I think he's with the Yankees. So I mean, maybe it's just like the teams he's been on, he's never really been given an opportunity, um, or you know, like was been given an opportunity but uh, didn't you know, perform well enough to, for the team to, you know, see a future with him. I I, I don't know, but uh, for, for right now, I mean, he's definitely found a home with the Cardinals. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't, you know, I would be very shocked if the Cardinals didn't bring him back next year on a, on a deal. I mean, again, 99 to hundred miles an hour with movement. And then you have a completely filthy slider. Um, imagine if he had a change up. <laughs> I mean, it just, there's a lot of endless possibilities with Garcia, but uh, I know one thing I am really glad that he's on the Cardinals. Okay. Let's, let's shift gears. Game one's behind us. Game two comes into play. And all of a sudden we're up against um, the formidable Brandon Woodruff, um, who is a very likely uh, Cy Young contender, probably a top three candidate. Um, you know, the Cardinals score again, early in the first inning off of, uh, and it wouldn't be me if I didn't say it, a productive out um, on a sack fly by Tyler O'Neill um, scoring Tommy Edmond. Um, when you, I, I later tweeted in this game that when you get out to a lead and maybe it was game three that I tweeted this, but there's something to be said about getting out to an early lead against teams like the Brewers, because if you do, the pressure to perform is multiplied by the nth degree. So Carter, when you have a team that's as hot as the Cardinals and see them scoring first, and now you've got to play catch up, what do you think, or what would you say was going through the Brewers' heads as as they were taking their at-bats against, you know, a Miles Michaelis, uh, I'm sorry, uh, was it Miles that was Miles? It was Jake Woodford, Battle of the Woods. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Jake Woodford, who, you know, we know as Cardinal fans was not very good, but all of a sudden has pitched very well. Yeah, I think it's just kind of that here we go again, especially with, you know, the run that uh, we're on and just kind of game two starting off with that one lead. And especially it's just a very vintage Cardinal when they're good run without even needing to get a hit. You know, you got to walk stolen base, move them over on a ground ball, sacrifice fly, no hits, one run. It seems pretty easy baseball, but very productive baseball for the Cardinals, very vintage. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, what are we supposed to do? We didn't give up a hit, but our one mistake of a walk and then a stolen base and they score a run. It's like, they're going to capitalize on everything. It's like, we went through that inning without, you know, no hits played pretty decent defense. Then all of a sudden there's run on the board. It's what are we supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, here's here, and here's the bottom line. Brandon Woodruff struck out ten people, but I'm gonna, I gotta tell you, it felt more like twenty, the way he was mowing down the Cardinal hitters. But I mean, that just spoke to how well he was, he was doing. Um, and so, Fish, I, I tweeted this out. Um, 
after the, after his game, but Woodford um, in his last two starts against the Brewers, 10.1 innings pitched, four hits total, zero earned runs, 10 Ks and one walk. That's pretty good, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it wouldn't be uh, a Cardinals thing to say. Uh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, let me rephrase that. The, the next man up philosophy has been a Cardinals thing for a while. Right. And I think that's that again is, you know, no stranger to that this year, uh, Jake Woodford, uh, I, I, his season of injuries in the starting rotation, but you know, Wade LeBlanc, he stepped up to the plate. He, he performed, unfortunately he went down with an injury. Jake Woodford's gotten an opportunity now and against one of the hottest teams in baseball, uh, before we've gone on this run, the Brewers, the last two times he's went out there, he's he's mowed him down. And, you know, it's it it's just like Woodford, I think, in the postgame interview, he said September baseball is enough to motivate him to perform that well. And uh, if he can r- replicate anywhere close to what he's done the last two outings during the Brewers, uh, he, he's going to he's going to be very reliable down the stretch. Yeah, um, and, and just to keep everybody updated, the Nationals have beaten the Reds, so they fall another game behind the Cardinals. Um, Phillies are still clinging on to, oh, well, they've expanded their lead to 10-6. So uh, let's assume that the Phillies win. So the Cardinals are still going to be at a magic number of six probably by the end of tonight. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about uh, – Jake Wood, Woodford's ability to to have the beginning of the season that he did um, and then all of a sudden become um, a very formidable starting pitcher. Yes. What I said was he needs to get deeper into games. And I had somebody shoot back at me saying, um, you know, he, he you know, he can't really do that. Why can't he do that? Um, and I, I don't think it's so much that he can't do it. I think um, the Cardinals are being very cautious with him because it seems as if uh, the third time through the order or as it gets later in the game, it, the effect, his effectiveness just wears off. But that being said, when you have the, the, the next man up mentality in September, I also think it's kind of one of those things where you're playing, the team is playing so well and you're getting such good starting pitching that you don't want to be the guy that messes it up. And so I, I think that plays a little bit of a factor uh, in how Jake pitched as well. I mean, think about it. Four hits over, you know, four hits over the game. I know that wasn't all him, but he really didn't give them anything. Um, he struck that he struck out five batters when, when he pitched and only walked one person. Um, that's winning baseball right there. And, w- and when you're on a run and you can get starting pitching like that, um, you're going to go a long way. Now, the thing is, is, how does that stack up against the other teams? We talk about obviously playing the Dodgers in the wild card game, or maybe it's the Giants. But let's say you get beyond that. Um, Carter, do you think Jake has done enough to be trusted with a start in a divisional series game? I do. And I think the reason why is he is just aggressive in the zone. I think what has set him apart from even just other starters in the Cardinal rotation, you know, besides Wayno and, you know, kind of our big hitters is. He, even though he's young and he's, you know, untested, he isn't afraid of the strike zone. He isn't afraid to throw strikes. And I think that's what's been the problem in past years with a lot of our rookie pitchers who have come up, you know, that next man up mentality. They're just afraid to make the mistake and they're afraid to throw strikes. And that sets up for long innings, walks, 
and then having to throw the meatball over the plate when you're down 3-1 in a count. And I think that's what sets Jake Woodford apart from the rest of kind of our fill-in spot star pitchers is he has been aggressive in the zone. He's been challenging hitters and he hasn't been afraid no matter if it's Fernando Tatis or if it's, you know, Jake Cronenworth in the box. It doesn't matter who it is. He's going to come at you right away. And I think that's what's made him successful. And that success, I mean, especially with the playoffs being the majority bullpen games, you don't really see pitchers going more than six at the max unless they're throwing, you know, no runs, only two hits allowed. So I think just how Jake Woodford's pitching now, he definitely is is more than deserving of a divisional series start. Yeah, Fish, Fish, do you agree with him? Uh, Yeah, so like obviously postseason baseball is is crazy. So, you know, you're going to build a wild card roster first. And I I just I would be shocked if Jake Woodford doesn't make that because you throw all hands on deck in a in a game like that. and I, I, he's, he's definitely on the roster. Um, I don't know, you know, like I said, I, I don't know if they're going to give him a start, but I, I, I would see him if he doesn't get a start, he's definitely like the long relief guy because I mean, his body of work recently speaks for itself and uh, you need innings and you need quality innings in the postseason if, if your starter doesn't uh, end up panning out. So definitely he, he's going to be, uh, an important asset to the team in the postseason, and I would trust him to give a. I would trust him with a start. Um, it just you know depends on how the Cardinals want to use him. Yeah, and I think the most impressive thing that I took away from the last two times that he's faced the Brewer, the Brewer, excuse me, um, and, and and that simply is is the walk rate, right? One walk. I mean. It, earlier in the year, it was a very very telling sign that the Cardinals just the control wasn't there but only one walk to Brewers hitters who were, and this is a good hitting team. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, They are a very good hitting team and only to issue one walk to them in 10 innings um, speaks more than, more than itself in, in my opinion. Okay. So we, we finish up with game two. I mean, we win two to one, very close game. I I'm pretty sure the three of us would probably say that our nerves were uh, at an extreme high, probably a 10 out of 10. So we move to to game three and Miles Michaelis goes out and throws a, a gem of a game, seven innings, two earned, three Ks, no walks. So, again, Cardinal pitchers live, limiting the walks. Um, but the score ended up being 10 to two and it was an absolute blowout. And I think the one thing that I took away from it was um, the Brewers, for whatever reason, decided to bring in Brett Anderson um, off the I.L. against a red hot team. And I, I don't know what that was about. I, I just don't understand that move. Could you, uh, Carter, do you think, you know, if, if Craig Council had it back, would he do it differently? Uh, I don't think that he would. I think the outcome wasn't great, but I think that they needed to get him innings. And I know fresh off the aisle, I think they fully had planned for that to be a bullpen game anyway. Okay. So I think getting him in to start the game just to kind of get you know his feet wet back in I mean obviously you know giving up the six runs and to think about not only two of those were earned so I mean he also gets no help from his defense at all there in the first couple innings so uh, that obviously changes a lot of things too you're thinking two innings two runs off of someone who just came off the aisle you're thinking all right that's that's a decent opener but you know 
getting hit with those four extra unearned runs definitely makes it look a lot worse than it was. And I don't think he'd do anything differently because uh, I fully think that in their mind, this was going to be a bullpen game anyway, coming off of it. And I don't think they were expecting much from him and anything that they were to get positive would be a positive in the Brewers eyes. Yeah. And what a way to uh, welcome Brett Anderson back into uh, the rotation. Tyler O'Neill greets him with a 403 foot home run fish. And I, I know you were watching at the moment. Um, it almost felt inevitable the way that that at bat was going. It, it just felt like Tyler O'Neill was going to hit that home run. Oh, and, and I think that's the theme of the Cardinals right now. You know, like I, I feel like every time that an at bat goes more than I'll say, you know, typical four to five pitches, you you think that something special is going to happen. And the season that Tyler O'Neill's had, like you said, I mean, in a situation like that, it's you can kind of see when he's really dialed into an at bat when he's fouling those pitches off on his hands when he's. Uh, you know, dropping the bat down on a outside slider, you know, that, you know, something special is coming. He's dialed in and, and that's, I mean, as of late, the number one through four in the lineup, I mean, that's, that's all, they are all like, we are finally seeing all four of those guys hot and dialed in at the same time. And it's been awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think if if people go back and watch that at bat from Tyler O'Neill, um, it's not like the ball that he hit for a home run was technically in the strike zone. It was probably like a good inch a, inch and a half above the strike zone, which is, doesn't seem like a lot. But you've got to be able to get the barrel above your your above your eye level and essentially to hit that ball and hit it with some elevation. So oh yeah, that, I mean it just makes it more impressive in my opinion. His, his baseball IQ, like in, in that at bat alone, it's just he, he, he knew that he wasn't going to get a meatball down the plate because Anderson, he was trying to Anderson was trying to be a little fine. And, and maybe that's just him trying to perform, you know, coming off the I.L. But uh, I don't think he was expecting that tough and that of an at bat by uh, O'Neill. Um, and, you know, obviously O'Neill had problems with the high high fastballs, high you know pitches last year and. Uh, so Anderson goes upstairs, uh, maybe to challenge him, and and O'Neill knew that he could get a hold of it. And yeah, yeah. And, and if you look at and again, if you go back in that in the video of that at bat, the ball that Tyler O'Neill hits out, the catcher actually sets up low and inside, and, and it just floats over the plate. And as soon as it left the hand, it was just like, oh boy, that's gone. I mean, it, it was no doubt. And, and speaking of no doubters, um, Paul Goldschmidt probably hit one of the furthest balls I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, Carter, I'm going to start with you. Could, can you think of a home run that resembles what Paul Goldschmidt did to that ball in game three? Uh, it's just a lot of times with those, you know, kind of speechless home runs, it's, it's, the unsuspecting people that you think of who hit them. Then I mean, Paul Goldschmidt, I mean, he's an all-star hitter. He's an all-star first baseman. Uh, so it, I'm not saying that he's definitely not someone who you expect, but you expect, you know, Tyler, and you know, you expect a Nolan Arenado and you don't really ex- kind of, he kind of is our third forgotten guy right now. And I'm definitely not saying that he's forgot because Cardinal nation definitely appreciates everything Paul Goldschmidt does. But I mean, just trying to think back to home runs that were just hit that, 
you just knew right away right off the bat. I mean, you've got that Tyler O'Neill at bat right away at the beginning of the game. You kind of knew right when he hit it that that was gone. But just the distance that Goldie hit it, I can't remember one, you know, in a while that you knew it right off the bat. And, you know, the fielders don't really need to do much because you know that ball's way, way out of here. Yeah, Fish, what about you? I mean, as soon as that left the bat, it, I mean, it was absolute no doubter. But any any recent home, home run uh, make you think of that? The only one that I can think of, I like I on I don't think it was the last time we played the Brewers. It might have been, but the one that O'Neill hit that literally went out of the stadium. Yeah, like yeah. that's the only one that comes to mind. And and I I mean I want to say that for Game Three, the uh, I want to say for Game Three the panels were up and the roof was closed. Yeah, and I think when O'Neill hit his everything was open. So, I mean, that just goes to show you that's, I mean, that's how strong Paul Goldschmidt is. Oh yeah. That's just pure <laughs> strength. Like that's just absolute pure strength. I mean, we think Tyler O'Neill is strong and, and he definitely is, but I mean, that ball was absolutely, I mean, destroyed by every bit of the imagination. So let, speaking of, of Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt and Arnado, um, we are on the cusp of having, three players with 30 or more home runs um, on the same Cardinal team uh, since probably the MV3. Um, and I'm, of course, I'm talking about Edmonds, Pujols, Roland. Um, if you kind of think about it, uh, it kind of feels like the same cycle is happening again. You've got Pujols and Goldschmidt, Roland Arenado, and then all of a sudden Jim Edmonds and, and, and Tyler O'Neill. And I know you know, they're not hitting 42 bombs and, you know, or 35 plus home runs, but they're playing as if this is the MV3 of the Cardinals right now. What do you guys think? Uh, definitely. I, and I think you recently when, when ever since Schultz put Tyler O'Neill in between the two, uh, I think I, I think he found something there. And mm-hmm. I, I think that should probably be the lineup construction. I mean, going forward as it has been. Uh, but I mean, the what how how good Tyler O'Neill's been, you know that you're all three of them are protecting each other. So it's like, oh, you choose not to pitch the Goldschmidt. Well, you got to or you choose yeah you choose not to pitch the Goldschmidt. You got to face O'Neill. You choose not to pitch him. You got to face Arenado. So it, it, it's just it's a three headed monster right there. And and with Tommy Edmund leading off, I mean you usually have ducks on the pond too. So yeah, I mean Carter MB three. Um, there's not really much to say about it, but they're just playing out of their minds, really. Yeah, it's just been insane to watch all three of them go. And exactly what Fish said, uh, having them all protect each other, you know, you think, okay, O'Neal's hot right now, let's pitch to Goldschmidt. And Goldschmidt, and he hits it, you know, 450 feet to deep left. And then you're thinking, okay, he hit the ball well. We'll kind of work around him for O'Neal, and O'Neal will pop one over the fence. And then you're thinking, okay, we got one of them out, so let's pitch to Arnato, and he'll hit one and out or hit a double hit one down the line. It's like, you really can't win and they're all protecting each other. And it's just insane to think that, especially just, you know, kind of harping back to how this team was looking earlier offensively, that we would have three players, hopefully by the end of the season, they'll have 30 plus home runs. It just kind of going into the season, you thought maybe with the talent that this team had and the expectations this team had, but as the season has gone on, the odds got progressively lower and now they're bumping their way back up as the team has gotten hot. It's just insane to think that it's even possible. 
Yeah, Dylan Dinger and I at the very beginning of the year said uh, we, we asked who was going to be the, the leader in home runs. Uh, Dylan Dinger said uh, Arnado was going to do that. Um, and I actually went Goldschmidt. Um, I'm not far behind. I'm three behind. I think Arnado's at, what, 33 home runs. And yeah. Goldschmidt's now at 29. Tyler O'Neill's at 29. Um, so, you know, do I think he kept, do I think either of them can catch Arnado? That's eh, possible, but there's not a lot of games left in, unless they're hitting one out every other game, uh, it's probably not going to happen. Or unless you're like Goldschmidt, like in game four, since we'll transition to that now, uh, you hit two home runs. And then obviously one of them being an absolute nuke and the other one also being an absolute nuke. But let's start with uh, how that game started and, Obviously, the most important thing that I'm going to recognize right now is, uh, you know, a quick hats off to Adam Wainwright, 2000, I mean, 2000 strikeout as a St. Louis Cardinal. He's the only the only other Cardinal pitcher that's done that is the late and great Hall of Famer, Bob Gibson. Um, Carter, we've watched Wainwright throughout the years be an absolute workhorse for this team. Um what does what did that mean for you seeing him get that 2000 strikeout? I mean, I've grown up watching Adam Wainwright pitch and just 2000 strikeouts just shows the history and the really great history that this organization has and just how well he's performed. And you think about it, he's got 2000 strikeouts and he's basically missed two full seasons mm-hmm. in that time. That just shows you how impressive he is and how just the utmost professional he is and just going from, you know, striking out to win the World Series back in 06 to being 40 years old and being the ace of a playoff-bound team is just crazy. It's a journey, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's not to say what could have been had he not been injured, had he not gotten Tommy John, had he not ruptured his Achilles. I mean, who knows where he could have ended up in terms of how many strikeouts he had. I'm Obviously, he would have had 2,000 sooner, but Fish, you know, as Carter just nicely put, you know, we've watched Wainwright for years be this this absolute stud for the Cardinals. What did it mean for you to see the 2000 strikeout for him? Uh, you know, it's it's I, I was I was wanting it to happen at home. Absolutely, um, yeah. I, would, I think that would have been really cool. But, uh, you know, it's it's just it's any time that you are listed next to Bob Gibson. I mean, that just kind of speaks for itself, you know? Absolutely. One of the best pitchers of all time. The best pitcher the Cardinals have ever had. That's, yeah. I mean, you're an elite company. Yeah. And and look, if his his legacy as a St. Louis Cardinal wasn't cemented already, um, this pretty much is him uh, putting the final uh, blueprints to to an obvious Cardinal Hall of Fame career, but an obvious – uh, bronze statue outside of Bush Stadium. Um, I, you know, for me, when I watch Wainwright pitch, um, there's something to be said about people who throw the baseball and people who go and pitch. Um, Adam Wainwright is a pitcher through and through. He's a veteran pitcher. He has always been a pitcher. Um, and what I mean by that is people can go out there and throw 95. 96, 97, and throw the ball as hard as they can. But to be a true pitcher means going out there, locating, 
and doing everything that you can to win a baseball game. Look, you know, Greg Maddox is, is one of those guys. He was not overwhelming, but he knew how to pitch. And that's what made him so successful. And I think as Adam Wainwright has, you know, grown as a pitcher, you know, he used to throw hard. And as time went on, that, that power just kind of sapped out of his body. But he became a pitcher. And that is what really st- has stood out to me as his career, um, it, you know, has, has continued in. And it will for one more year. And we'll get to see that one more time. Uh, and I'm like you guys. I grew up with Adam Wainwright. I grew up with Yadier Molina. And so to see them at the at play at a high level still, um, and obviously today's game wasn't the greatest for him. Um, but and we're going to talk about a little bit of this uh, of how it started because I'm a I have a bone to pick with with uh, the home plate umpire. Um, but but the way that he can commands himself on the mound um, is second to none in my opinion. Um, I think there are some rumblings of him getting a Cy Young vote. Um, I don't think he's going to win it but I think he's definitely deserving of a, a top top five, top 10 uh, Cy Young for sure. He is absolutely in the conversation. Like I'd, I'd, I'd be shocked if, if he's, if he's not. Yeah, I know it'd be, it'd be a little weird not to see him in, in the top five, uh, but I could certainly understand it. I mean, the NL has a lot of great pitchers. So let, let's, let's go ahead and, and wrap um, this, this, uh, last game up because this was probably the most trying game um, for the Cardinals. Obviously um, my bone to pick with, you know, the very beginning of the game is the home plate umpire was squeezing the life out of Adam Wainwright in his pitches. I mean, literally squeezing the life out of him. Um, And I got to (laughs) say, you know, Dylan Dinger and I were texting back and forth and he, he thought, you know, that the hit was on that MLB was out to get the Cardinals and say, you know what, this win streak needs to end because you are, you're pushing devil magic down our throats and we can't handle it. Um, but, but uh, fish, when you see the Cardinals go down four zero, did you lose hope? I think for the first time all season, you know, you preach to avoid the beginning and down the stretch as uh, ever since the also break Cardinals have done that. And, you know, today we weren't able to avoid the big inning, obviously. Uh, but I think for the first time all season, like today was the first time that I just I had like I felt like we were going to come back. I felt like it wasn't out of reach. And you would ask me even I'd say even three months ago, I, I would have been like, yeah, game's over. And that's not me just being, you know pessimistic or anything that's just that's that was the the nature of the club like i i think a big part of this series is cardinals jumped on top three of the four games like first and i really do think that like the morale of the brewers took a dip and you saw that in their play i mean defensively game three and and today i they just they didn't seem like a postseason club like they, their their defense and their own field play was was definitely like has has definitely taken a hit and i think i think that's just you know cardinals jump on top momentum they, they wrote it and i think that really does have an effect on on the other team's performance if if they don't take it well yeah and i'm gonna hit on that for for a quick second because you brought something up that i actually talked about about game three right um Again, it, it came down to 
when the Cardinals score first, it puts pressure on the team, especially a Brewers team who, you know, had an opportunity to win the division at home against the hated Cardinals, right? You, you would salivate for that opportunity and they couldn't get it done. But when you go down early in games one, two, and three, you're pressing your bats, you're, you're, you're tight. You're, you're not comfortable at the plate and look what miles Michaelis does, right? He throws low and away sliders and every single time a right-hander batter came up to bat, ground out, ground out, ground out, ground out. And that's just poor plate execution. It's really good pitching and it's poor plate execution. Um, so then whenever you get into a scenario where you go up first, now the pressure is on to hold on to that lead. It's like in soccer, right? When you get a, a 1-0 lead, you're like, ah, that's not too bad. But a 2-0 lead is typically the most dangerous lead you can have in soccer. Why? Because you sit back, you don't put your, you don't keep your foot on the gas. You just let things ride because you're thinking, ah, we can hold them. But then all of a sudden a team strikes, they get that first goal and then they get a second goal. And that's kind of how this game felt. Carter, when you see the team go down 5-0 by the fourth inning, and mind you, by the fourth inning, the Cardinals had not mustered a single thing. Were you sitting there thinking, okay, win streak's over? I mean, the thought definitely popped in my head, but it just kind of goes back to, you think back to the beginning of the streak in game one, that game that both Fish and I happened to be at, uh, it was the first time the season that the Cardinals had come back from a deficit of four or more. And that was the game where, you know, the Reds jumped out Castellanos hit his apology home run minus the apology to make it four, nothing. <laughs> and, you know, you're kind of thinking, Oh no, here we go. Like this is it. And then, you know, they finally get that first win. They get just start scratching and clawing and fighting their way back. And this game just felt eerily similar to that game one of this 12 game win streak. And, just starting to fight and crawl back once you got one and you know yachty going to right field in typical yachty fashion you just kind of felt like all right here we go and that seventh inning was definitely the big catalyst you know you're thinking i mean little did i know going into it that williams wasn't going to be available but you have the seventh inning and you have the tying run come to the plate you think you have to do it here because you know you got hater coming up in the ninth and more than likely he hadn't pitched at all so you'd probably see him two innings and the Cardinals just haven't had the success against Josh Hader in his career. So you just kind of think like, this is it balls to the wall. Let's do it. And it went our way tonight. And that's just kind of how the Cardinals have played during this entire win streak. Yeah. I mean, so the seventh inning rolls around Edmund grounds into a fielder's choice. And I got to say, if it wasn't him for him hustling down the first baseline, this inning is a complete wash and we probably do lose this game at that moment, but he beats out the throw. Then all of a sudden, they start talking about uh, the the lighting in, in the stadium and how it's messing with the hitters. And now Brad Boxberger throws one away. And I think at that moment, I kind of started thinking to myself, the momentum's there. We have this right now. And all of a sudden, um, lightning strikes, and it's it's Goldschmidt again with an absolute piss missile pretty much in the same spot that he hit it, you know, hit it in the other game. Um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask for one word from you guys, Carter, I'll start with you in the moment you saw the ball left the bat. What was your first thought? How? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get that. I, yeah. I totally understand that. How? Okay. Fish you. 
first thought that came into your mind when Goldschmidt hit, hit that ball left Goldschmidt's bat? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I think my, I was sitting at work listening to the game and I think the first thought that I came to my head was no way. I mean, it just, it's just crazy how sometimes baseball works. And I think uh, it just makes you, if you're like an outsider looking in, it just makes you think that the devil magic is an absolute real thing. Oh, I, 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 there's no I, way around it. I, I want to hit on it again. I, I think like a big component of this run is, is, is like the Cardinals have just drained the morale from the teams. Like I, you, you go back to the pit, uh, not the Pittsburgh, the, uh, the Padres series. Yeah. They deflated Tatis. Carlson deflated Tatis. Like he was not himself after Tatis robbed him. And, you know, you, you saw that in, in the finale. It's like, I really do think that that's been a, a factor of this run is that Cardinals jump on top. They don't let up. And the team's just like, what is, what is happening? Like they, they're just, they're at a loss for words and, and that translates to their play. I, I just, I, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, the Cardinals are unfazed by teams jumping out in, in front, obviously. I mean, you've seen it. Like like Carter said, the first the first game that started this this run started with a 4-0 lead and Cardinals just they never they never count themselves out. And and that's been a big that's been a big thing of all all, all of this run. It's just the opposite end of the spectrum, they they've never lost morale. They've always we're still in it, we're still in it, we're still in it. And and that's what you love to see it. Yeah, you do love to see it. Uh, Carter, uh, the simple question for you right now is, is Cardinals devil magic real? Oh, yeah. 100%. (laughs) There's no other way you can explain it. I mean, you can talk about how everyone got hot at the same time. You know, there's obvious statistical ways to say that, you know, this win streak is good, but the easy answer and the easy way out is the Cardinals devil magic. I mean, you see it year in and year out. There's a reason why, devil magic is a thing and it it just comes up every year to suck us in no matter what it's it's i feel like it the front office must have like cursed the team to perform no matter how the team is performing i feel like especially these recent years you know you have the absolute boring 2016 team who you know you just sprinkle in some devil magic at the end of the year to make it interesting and get everyone hooked and it's it's just that devil magic coming back every september Yeah, and look, the Cardinals score eight unanswered runs after the last Milwaukee run came across. And by the way, that was in the the fourth inning. So by the time the game is over, eight runs come across for the Cardinals. They win eight to five. So here's what I want to end this series with before we uh, transition towards, you know, the end of, of today's episode. Are we taking too much stock in what we saw in 2011? and putting it into 2021 are we are we putting way too much stock into into the similarities of the two seasons i personally don't think so because it just seems like every night there's a new parallel to 2011 you have in 2011 obviously game cardinals are what 10 and a half games back Mm -hmm. and the the braves would have had to go go into free fall and they did, and the Cardinals got hot. And it's a parallel, but it's a little bit different. Obviously, Cardinals get hot, 
and the teams that they that they send these teams into free fall in order to get them into the postseason. So they send the the Reds into a free fall. They send the Mets into a free fall. They send the Padres into a free fall. They're not going to send the Brewers into a free fall. They've already clinched, but they come to their home and they punch them in the mouth and they're kind of left shell-shocked. So it's like there's parallels to 2011. And I've, I mean, Carter, Carter's heard me say it multiple times. There's, it, I, you can't not compare it to 2011 at this point. There's just so many similarities. Yeah, I think when I when I'm looking at the two seasons, obviously we've seen people say before, well, we didn't have, you know, we don't have a pool holes, we don't have a yada yada, right? I, I totally understand that. Yes, nobody is Albert Pujols, and nobody ever will be Albert Pujols. But I, I think there is something to say, and Carter, I'll, I want to hear your thoughts on this. But I think there is something to say that whenever you have a, a run like this the similarities are, are just so obvious and, and just so telling that you can't help but think, boy, this feels magical. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And it's just the, the one thing that I completely agree with everything that Ryan's saying. And that's just the one thing that uh, the magic and continues to happen. And it's just the, the one game playoff instead of going right into the uh, NLDS, like we did in 2011 and that, you know, we allow that magic to happen in a five-game series, and it's like all that magic could come to an end right away in a one-game playoff. And the similarities between the 2011 and 2021 teams are so crazy, but that one big difference in the one-game playoff versus going right into the NLDS is definitely a big difference that needs to be taken into account. But just the fact that we have a chance and that we can have this magic Cardinal Devil magic run even into the one game playoff against a really good team is just insane. And those parallels are definitely there with the 2011 team. Yeah. And I think my favorite part of all of this is that Bob Nightingale is trying so damn hard to ruin <laughs> this for the Cardinals that I I'm legitimately, honestly, 1000% convinced he is also part of the Cardinals double magic. It's like an anti uh, it, it's just like the antith- antithesis of all of this. He can't tweet enough that for the Cardinals devil magic to run out. It's almost like Car- Cardinals devil magic is like absorbing his tweets and saying, I'm stronger than you. And I don't really give a shit. It, 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 it's been absorbing them all year. And it's decided that it's gotten strong enough to, to manifest itself in yeah. September. <laughs> yeah, it's, self, it's, self, it's self-sustaining at this point. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, so let me, let, let's end this episode uh, with a couple of things. One thing I want to end it on is this. Um, when you go now, when you, we, we, we're done with tonight, right? The, the Phillies end up winning. So, you know, the magic number will sit at six as, as tonight passes. Now you have a four-game set with the Chicago Cubs. You get past that, you're probably you're more than likely going to win two of those games, maybe three. Hopefully, a four-game sweep in Chicago uh, to really just put some some icing on the cake. Cake, um, but then you have an opportunity to to win and clinch at home, um, and then it's it's time to start thinking postseason. Who are you guys wanting to play? Fish, we'll start with you. Dodgers or Giants? You're in the one-game playoff. So, on one end of the spectrum, the spirit of Travis uh, Ishikawa uh, haunts me. 
Yes. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like the Dodgers are kind of our bitch in the postseason. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know you're going to ha- be having to face Max Scherzer, right? And, you know, obviously that's going to be a, a tough, tough game. But the way the Cardinals are playing right now, I feel like quite literally anything is possible. You know, then it's like, you know, you, you face the Giants and you're going to face probably Gaussman, if I had to guess. Gaussman. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, at this point, I think it's just six one way, half dozen the other. I, I, I think you kind of just pick your poison. And I mean, they're they're both a formidable foe. I, I If my personal opinion, I'm picking the Dodgers just because I don't want to face Dodger pitching in a four game series. Yeah, because they have like a hydra of starting pitchers. Yeah, you cut cut off one head, cut off Max Scherzer, then you get Walker Bueller. Cut off, cut him off. You get Julio um, Urias. Uh, cut him off, and you get somebody else. <laughs> I don't know. Right, it's just they, it's a it's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, and, and that's hydra. How about yeah? That? You just don't want to you don't want to face that in, in a series. You feel like you can. You take a shot at their their best pitcher in a one game, um, and you know obviously you'd like to face the the Giants in a series and have a better have a shot at beating them. Yeah. So so Carter, uh, the same question to you: Dodgers or Giants? Who you who you wanted to face in the in the wild card game? I'm going the opposite. I'm going with the Giants. Okay. Uh, and I'm going with the Giants strictly on our four and two record against them this year. <laughs> hey, I mean it, and I don't, I don't blame you, right? You, you go out and you've shown that you can beat that team. Uh, I don't, th- I know Gossman is a great pitcher and he's had a great season. He's beatable. Yeah. He's and very it, beatable. Especially with, I think the best case scenario that we're all cheering for is one sixty three. Yes. I think so too. That's what everyone's cheering for because we get one sixty three. Let's fingers crossed that the Dodgers pitch Scherzer so that way we don't even have to worry about him. It doesn't matter which way we go. We wouldn't have to worry about him until maybe game three, game four, if they make it to if we make it to the DS and the Dodgers win game one sixty three, and then we wouldn't have to face them in the one game playoff if the Dodgers happen to lose that game. So it's it's kind of the the best case scenario for the Cardinals is one sixty three. But if I had to choose one of the two, I would pick the Giants just because I want to face the team that I know that I feel the most confident that we can be in one game would be the Giants because it doesn't matter if we can beat the Giants more in a five game series if we can't get past the Dodgers in the one game that doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, um, I tweeted this the other day. I know Fish, you saw it, but <laughs> um, I'm kind of in the same boat as you are. I, I'm still scarred by everything that the Giants have done to us uh, mentally, emotionally, phys- physically um, in the, the postseasons of yesteryear. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also thinking to myself, do I want them in the playoffs and in the, in the wild card game so I can exercise those demons and say, mm-hmm. you know what? I've moved on. Um, and I, I'm just not sure. I, I, I'm coming to this, uh, this conclusion that, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a 163 because I love baseball and it, you know, who, what, who doesn't want drama um, on an extra day of baseball, but at the same time, you know, do I, do I think it matters at, at the end of the day? No. And, and the reason why I say that is because, 
no matter who we're playing, you have one shot to go out there and, and take them down. And then you've got at least, th- you know, three more games uh, to play at least. And so no matter who you're facing at that moment, I, I think that the Cardinals are in a position where they're playing so well that I don't think either team truly wants to play them. I think they both, both teams know that the Cardinals are as, as hot as they can be. And if they continue playing at a high level, um, even, a, even the great Max Scherzer, even as great as Kevin Gossman is, uh, that's going to be put to the test. Um, and, and that's a team that, you know, that if you count them out, they're a very dangerous team. Um, and look, look what they did today. I mean, even if the, and look what they did against Brandon Woodruff, right? You have great pitching like that. And even then they still found a way to win. So, and, and, and here's the thing, they've beaten Max Scherzer before. So it's not like they have never done it. So these, these things, these, these ideas of who we'd rather face, I think are going to be kind of, you know, neutral points at, at, at some, at, you know, as time gets uh, closer to that game, because the Cardinals only have one shot to get by. And, and I think they're going to do everything in their power to, to win that game, but bring on who, whomever it is, because I think the Cardinals can, can take on, uh, I think they can beat both of those teams in, in any, in any case. Absolutely. And, and something that, I think is uh, being overlooked a little bit. I'm sure you guys are, are looking forward to it, but oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Dak, Dak and Jack are about to be back. Yeah. Dak and Jack, man. I mean, um, that's talk about having reinforcements in September. Those are, those are two giant reinforcements. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, you're not sure what you're going to get out of, out of Dakota Hudson. Obviously he's, he hasn't pitched in an entire year. But you know what you're going to get out of Jack if he is feeling 100%, and you, you will take that any day. I think so, too. And, and, you know, it's weird because, obviously, he's not going to be the full starter that he is. But if he can give you innings here and there, if he can come out of the bullpen, um, especially in a tight situation um, where, let's say, you know, you throw Adam Wainwright um, in that wild card game and things get hairy pretty quickly um, – Jack Flaherty can be the bridge between, you know, the, you know, the bullpen and the, or in the bullpen uh, for the, for the early relief innings and up until the late relief innings. And same way with Dakota Hudson. Uh, I think he, you know, will he be a starter on a, uh, on, on one of the games in the DS? Probably not, but he definitely would be a bridge for me in, in some capacity uh, to be in one of those games in case, you know, one of those starters doesn't do as well as, as planned. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I saw, I don't remember who tweeted it, but I saw a tweet the other day with Flaherty coming back and he's more than likely not going to be a starter. You throw him in the bullpen and uh, game seven of the world series, Jack Flaherty closes it out and gets to hug Yachty to win the world series would be a great uh, parallel of how Adam Wainwright's career started. So Shoot, no. just put Adam Wayne right there then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's let's go. Let's turn the clock way back. Yes. Let's uh, go back to t- 2006. Yeah, let's let's do that. Okay, guys. Um normally at the end of, of, of our of our shows, we do a segment called Hot Takes. Um, so I'm gonna put you on the spot, Carter. Sorry to do it to you. Oh, but give me a hot take that you have uh to close out tonight's episode. 
Tyler O'Neill leads the team in home runs by the end of the season. Wow. Okay. I'm Fish? feeling a run. I'm feeling Fish, a run. What do you think? That's that's a pretty bold take. I think with how he's been playing recently, Paul Goldschmidt ends up top three in MVP voting. Okay. I you know, I can see that. I mean, the the I can see that in a way because of how you know his August, September has just been an absolute lights out. I think what he's batting 313 with just a crazy amount of home runs and obviously RBIs. Um, you know what? This is going to be my hot take. And I think Cardinals beat the Dodgers in the NLDS. I do. Um, I know that sounds pretty crazy considering the pitching that the Dodgers have, but I think the Dodgers take off, uh, tick off the Giants. I think we played them in the wild card game. We beat Kevin Gossman in Oracle Park. We exercised those demons. Um, and maybe this is wishful thinking on my part. Um, but uh, the people that I work for um, are part owner of the Dodgers. And so I would love nothing more uh, to, <laughs> uh, to play spoiler to uh, what would be a really fantastic season for the Dodgers, to be honest. I mean, that's what I want. And then I, I you know, if I've got to be honest, I want the Brewers again. I, I, I do. I want them in the NLCS and I want to just absolutely grind them into the dust and, and let them know you're nothing. Um, you had a really great season, but you're still nothing. This is still um, our division. Nice try. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, and it's funny to me because, you know, um, there was, there's a Twitter handle. It's called reviewing the brew. They are fan sided, uh, uh, you know, affiliate. And, um, they tweeted out today. It's like, can, can we stop with the Cardinals double magic BS? And it's like, no, no, we can't. Uh, and you can't either apparently. So uh, that's, that's my hot take. Cardinals beat the giants in the wild card game and then take down uh, the mighty Dodgers in the NLDS um, five games. Obviously there's no way they sweep them in three, uh, but I'll take it all all in five games uh, and ride the hot streak. Um, and I want the Brewers in, in the NLCS. So I'm not going to uh, spoil my World Series pick, obviously, because I would pick the Cardinals no matter what. So um, anyway, um, guys, I, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Um, again, uh, with me was Carter Cardinals. Uh, what is it? Cardinals chat 18 on Twitter. Please give him a follow. Uh, very cool to talk to you and, and uh, virtually meet you, really. And uh, Fish, of course, we met a couple weeks ago. Awesome to meet you then. You can find him at um, rfish36 on Twitter as well. You can also listen to the Turning Two podcast on Apple iTunes, um, also on Spotify. Um, I personally listen on Spotify. Um, I hope everybody else uh, gives us a chance and gives us a listen. And if you do, thank you for listening. Um, until next time, how about them Cardinals? Woo!